Wow, we have this week and next, uh, and we're going to be finished with 1 Peter. And today, uh, unwavering faith, rooted deep enough to withstand a hurricane. And we're going to look at the care and the humility that is required of a church elder. And for us, uh, here in the congregation, it's important that we know just how much we are loved by our congregation. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, short text today. Sorry, growth group teachers, if, uh, if that was a little bit of a challenge. Uh, I thought we did pretty well in our class. Bob led us through that great, and Jerry's uh, lesson was very helpful. Um, but I think it's, it's empowering for all of us uh, to look at the role of elder. Here's what Peter says. He starts off in 1 Peter 5, verse 1. He says, So I exhort the elders among you, As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, Peter refers to himself as a fellow elder and a witness. And the word elder there from presbyteros can mean uh, an age uh, description. We hear the word elder, sometimes we think elderly, but it doesn't always mean an older person. I think we've all met people that are wise beyond their years, where God has given them a gift of, of uh, wisdom. Shauna and I grew up in the Louisville area, and the Louisville uh, polity that they had, their, uh, their town councilmen were referred to as aldermen. And so if, you, if you're familiar at all with that term and you think of aldermen, these are like the aldermen that uh, Peter is writing to. And we also have that word martis, which is where we get our word martyr. The word martis is used for the word witness. And it is for those who have witnessed the suffering of Jesus Christ, and not just witnessed it because they've watched it, but because they are joining up with Jesus and suffering right alongside him. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me daily. And so Peter is writing to a group of, of people here and, and is telling them, you are fellow elders and witnesses. We're in this together. We're taking up our crosses daily. This is not some sort of a position of power and of authority so much as it is a leader from within the people that is showing them, hey, let's go suffer together for Christ. You talk about some marching orders that are are being delivered to this church that was scattered and persecuted in the first century. Another word that we see uh, here is the word episkopos for overseer or shepherd. Now, I'm gonna, I just want to say this right up front, and I hope that you, you see it and you feel it as well, and I mean it from the depths of my heart. I don't know that I've ever seen a church like Dover Christian Church with a healthy elder team, eldership, who loves the flock that they oversee as much as they do here. A few years ago, we had an elders retreat where we brought in a guest speaker. It's always, it's always nice to bring in the out-of-town out of expert that kind of comes in and puts fresh eyes on things. And I know he told me twice, and I think he told a couple of our elders as well, he says, you have such a healthy eldership. Not every church can say that, and we are, we are truly blessed. When you know that you are loved by those who are trying to lead you, it is so empowering. Our family loves the movie McFarland. It's based on a true story 
Uh, McFarland was a very poor town, perhaps the poorest town in all of America, in California, right on the border of, of Mexico. And Jim White was a football coach, and he kind of had the world by a tail, and things were going well for him. And he was, uh, you know, he was kind of a charismatic leader. And one day in the locker room, man, he was letting his team have it. And they kind of deserved it. And he was giving them a lecture and a speech. And some, one of his players uh, got kind of mouthy with him and was being extremely disrespectful. And in a moment, without thinking, White took his tennis shoe and threw it. He meant to hit the locker, but unfortunately it hit the cheek of the player. The next scene, you see Jim White, played by Kevin Costner, and his whole family headed down the highway with a moving truck. <laughs> and you know how that's played out for him. And he is sent to McFarland. This is a last stop for him. This is a second chance and a last chance for him. And as he's there on that football team and he's trying to lead them, things aren't going well, and he gets demoted. He's the PE teacher, but now he's no longer the coach of the, of the, of the football team. He's no longer the, uh, the assistant there trying to lead things. And so he's coaching, doing the best he can, teaching the PE class. But he notices that the players are excellent runners. I mean, they run well, and they run with, with almost no effort, it seems like. Like, it's second nature for them, and it is because they run everywhere they go, and they have developed great running uh, skills. And so he approaches the principal, and he's like, we, we don't have a cross-country team? <laughs> we need one. And he gets permission with great begging to lead a, a cross-country team. And he has seven players, and they're not excited about being on the team, and they don't see the same vision that he has. But he begins pouring all kinds of love into this team. One day they don't show up for practice because they're out working in the fields, the cabbage fields. And uh, so White decides he'll join them. So Coach White goes out and does the back-breaking work right alongside them. He's a servant leader, and he doesn't have the energy that they have, and they're able to show him their side of things and the life that they live. And one of them walks over to a pile of almond shells and hulls. He goes, you like almonds, White? You know where they come from? They come from here. We do the backbreaking work of shelling all of those almonds and putting them in bags and shipping them for you so you can just buy them with ease at the store. This is where they come from. He, he learns from them. He goes to their homes and he eats with them. He goes and he counsels them when they are at wit's end because of domestic abuse and because of problems in the home. And they begin to pour the same kind of love into him. His daughter reaches an age in which Kesa, uh, I can't remember, I, I've never been able to pronounce this word, when, when you become like 16 years old and they have a special party, and they go, you forgot your daughter's birthday? That's bad, White. <laughs> That's really bad, Coach. You didn't take your own daughter a cake? And so they throw her a party for him. Store owner gives him a chicken. <laughs> they begin to feel the love being returned to them. In a night where things turned violent, the, the, the cross-country team courageously stands up and protects his daughter. They consider leaving the school and moving because they don't want to raise their kids in a violent place like that. And it's his wife, Coach White's, Jim White's wife, who says to him, Hey, she came home safe, didn't she? 
I don't know that any other school would have done this for us. And the love is, you feel the connection and the bonding because he's not just a slave driver over them. He's not dominating over them. He's not lording it over them. Instead, he is a coach who loves his players. And perhaps one of the most favorite scenes for our family is after they have accomplished something in one of their meets and they have voiced kind of a bucket list to him, none of them have ever seen the ocean and their biggest dream is that someday they'll get to see the ocean. And Coach White's like, you've never seen the ocean? They've never seen the ocean. And so one day as they're riding along on their way home from a, a meet, one of them says, hey, White, you missed the turn. He just keeps driving. He takes them to the beach. They've never been to the beach. They've never seen the ocean. He pulls up to the guard shack, rolls down his window, He's reached in his wallet and pulled out, I think it's something like $23. Maybe it's $5 a person to get in. And he goes, look, I've got seven players on this bus who have never seen the ocean. All I've got is $23. You start to see their heads coming out the windows. They're craning their necks (laughs) trying to see. And the the DNR officer looks over and sees, sees them all. And he looks back at White and he says, go ahead, take them. He offers him the $23. He says, keep your money. <laughs> and, of course, there's this beautiful scene of him taking his players, and they see the ocean, and they see more than the ocean. They see their coach's love for them. Jesus is the greatest servant leader of all, better than any coach of any cross-country team, better than any supervisor in the workplace, better than any school teacher in the classroom, better than any parent or any other church leader who's ever been. He is the chief shepherd, and Jesus loves his flock. In John chapter 13, we have the the beautiful image of this when Jesus is about to go to the cross, and it's time for the Passover meal, and here are his disciples, his followers. He's the teacher. He's the chief shepherd, and yet everybody's feet are dirty around the table. No one has bothered to stoop low enough to wash the feet. Jesus, about to go to the cross, In John chapter 13, I'm so glad we're told that Satan was already doing his work in Judas Iscariot's heart. You think that was a secret to Jesus? You think he didn't know that? And yet he's willing to wash their feet. When he came to Simon Peter, Simon Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. The greatest among them had become the least among them. The shepherd, the washing of the feet, the servant role was the lowest possible job that you could have. This is, you know, this is the butler who takes the coats at the doors. This is the, you know, this is the, uh, the person who, who uh, takes your car and parks it for you. This is the, this is the maid. This is the, Jesus. I mean, he takes the ultimate lowest part he could. And even he even clothes himself as such, takes off the outer thing, puts a towel over his arm. He makes himself a servant, and he washes every single pair of feet among all of his disciples. Then he said, if I, 
who am the teacher, wash your feet, what ought you to do for one another? And he teaches them to be servants. And so now, flash forward ahead. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's been buried. He's risen from the dead. He's been among them for 50 days. He's ascended into heaven. The New Testament church has started. And now here we have Peter sending this letter to these first century Christians who are persecuted. And he talks about how to be a servant leader. He got it. Peter understands now. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4, I, I see three things that I think is a, we can glean from this that are important for us here at Dover Christian Church to know about our elders. And this is what I'd like for you to know about your elders. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4 says this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. <laughs> what you should know about your elders. First of all, your elders, they want to be there for you. Your elders want to be there for you. And the operative word is the word want. They want to be there for you. They don't receive any pay for the time that they put in and the thought and the prayer. There's one reason and one reason only that they do it. It's not for power. It's not for prestige. It's not for title. It's not for some special parking spot. It's not for a special seat in, in the auditorium here. It is for one reason and one reason only. They want to be there for you. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have them to do. The word compulsion can mean just putting in your time. It can mean going through the motions. It can mean vain repetition. Some churches may have men serving as elders who are in the role kind of out of obligation because members of their family have served before them, and there's kind of that expectation that they would do it, and they don't really want to do it, and they don't feel called to do it, and their heart's not in it, and yet they fill that role. I can't think of a single elder at Dover Christian Church that is an elder out of obligation. Your elders want to be there for you. We have a group of men who serve as, as elders because they feel called to do so and because they have willingly answered God's call. On the back of your worship program, you have a list of the eight elders here at Dover Christian Church. And I would encourage you, use this list and pray for your elders. Pray that God, would not strike, that God would not allow Satan to strike them and scatter the sheep. Pray that God would continue to bless them with, with this unity and this harmony that we have and, and, and wisdom that's not their own, but wisdom that God is giving them. We're working really hard on our vision, and we're trying to identify areas in which God is already at work, Areas in which God's already maybe using our congregation that we aren't, aren't even aware of. That we can kind of come up alongside what God is already doing and, and be able to ride the wave that God has created. Be praying for them. And praying for our congregation that we would continue to enjoy this incredible harmony. 
We were talking um, in our growth group about places where times in which uh, people have gone through great testing. That could be said of our entire nation and our entire planet right now. 2020 has been a year like none other (laughs) in so many ways. But I have been so impressed at how God has protected the unity here at Dover Christian Church, how he has seen us through it. I've been impressed time and time again uh, by your spiritual disciplines that serve as maybe vital signs of your spiritual health. I mean, numerically, we can, we can see those uh, things play out in, in, in the generous giving that you have done. All the way, march through present, unwavering, if not increasing. <laughs> I, I, I am blown away by our attendance here this morning, by the number of guests that I see. And by the way, welcome to our church. We're glad that you're here today. Um, I am blown away by the decisions for Christ that we have seen. We've seen baptisms and, and, and people come and want to place membership in our church family. And we're supposed to be in the midst of a, of a national crisis, you know. And yet here at Dover Christian Church, uh, our ministry seems to be thriving. You know, and that's the work of God's Holy Spirit and, and the openness to His leading by our, our leaders. We are so blessed. We have one of the most harmonious and spiritually mature elderships that I've ever seen, I believe, because we seek God's wisdom and we get it from Him. (laughs) He is the source of it. It's the kind of love that cannot be manufactured. It's a genuine love uh, that our appointed leaders have uh, for this congregation. The second thing that we see here is that I want you to know that your elders are passionate about your spiritual health. Peter says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. (laughs) Not for shameful gain, but they are eager to serve. 2 Timothy 5.17 says, Paul says to Timothy, his young preacher friend, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The word temes means honor, price, value, or wage. Your elders are passionate about your spiritual health. They're not in it for the money. James 5, verses 14 through 15, says something about one of the availabilities that the eldership should provide to the church. James asked the question, Is any one of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Is any of you sick? Call on the elders of your church to pray over you and to anoint you with oil. I've seen this done many times in ministry. My first ministry, I was in my early 20s, Henryville, Indiana, and we had a little boy in our congregation uh, who, for whatever reason, had never walked. He was a year and a half, almost two years old, and his parents called on the, on the elders and asked if they would pray over him and anoint him with oil. And, and you know, God chose 
to intervene and to heal that young man. There wasn't anything medicinal about the oil. There wasn't anything supernatural about the oil itself. It was just a representation of this family's faith to call on the elders. And by the way, that puts you in the driver's seat. The elders aren't going to call on you and say, hey, we'd like to come pray over you and anoint you with oil. You should call on the elders because it's your demonstration of faith that is, is what is identified in this passage. The reaching out and the calling on the elders and saying, I want you to pray over me. But it got even more personal for me in that first ministry when my own mother became deathly ill. And I remember she called on the elders to pray over her and to anoint her with oil. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody who calls on the elders to anoint them with oil and to pray over them, uh, that it's God's will that he's going to heal them every time. Otherwise, we would never get sick and we would never die and we'd all live to be in our hundreds and hundreds of years of age. But in this particular moment, in this instance, there I was, 23 years old, praying for my 43-year-old mom with, with, with the elders of our church anointing them with oil, anointing her with oil. And it, it was a very special and humbling moment. And I've seen the elders here at Dover Christian Church be called upon to anoint with oil and to pray for folks, some of you in this room, and you know what that means. And so I would encourage all of you to know and to reread James 5, 14 and 15, and to know that this is something that's available for you. Your elders are passionate not just about your physical health, but about your spiritual health as well. One final thing that I get from, from these verses, um, you need to know that your elders are servant leaders. Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I think a servant leader is just the best kind of leader there is. You know what? I'm not talking about a general that says, go, <laughs> Not talking about, you know, necessarily a coach, a rah-rah on the sidelines. I'm talking about someone from within that says, come follow me. You know, Peter even says, fellow elders. Your elders are brothers in Christ right alongside of you. And they don't, we don't outrank anyone else. We're on the same team. And we're part of a body of believers of about 240 people, if we were all here on the same Sunday, that are part of the same mission and the same vision, going through those discipleship pathway steps and trying to win as many people to Christ as we can. And we're all in this together. There's not a situation room in which all of the elders are protected and they're sitting back going, good luck with that. <laughs> Remember Mutual of Omaha, it's Wild Kingdom? Well, Jim makes his way down the shark-infested river. <laughs> Meanwhile, back here at the ranch, you know. No, there's none of that. Our elders are right in it. And we're getting just as dirty as everybody else when we're serving right alongside each other. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, it says, When they had finished breakfast... This is after the resurrection. Uh, Jesus appears to them, and Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? <laughs> he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because 
Jesus had said this to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I've often thought there's a direct correlation to the fact that Jesus, or Peter rather, had denied Jesus three times right before the crucifixion. I tell you, I do not know the man. Expletive. <laughs> he swears he doesn't know him. Oh, yeah, you, you, you do. I, I know you were with him because I, I recognize the accent that, yeah, you were with him. I don't know him. Third time, and the rooster crows as Jesus had predicted. In other words, before the sun comes up in the morning, you will have denied me three times, Peter. And Peter is horrified. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time because he's disobedient to Jesus. He's where he's not supposed to be. And there he is putting himself in harm's way, and he's denied Jesus three times. And Jesus was right. Oh, I think Peter meant it when he said, I'll never deny you, Lord. Even if I have to die for you, I will not deny you. Really, Peter? <laughs> before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, before the alarm clock goes off, you will have denied me three times. Fulfillment of the prophecy <laughs> of Jesus. Peter, devastated. But on this morning, on this fishing trip, when Jesus shows up, he asks him three times. He gets affirmation all three times. It is a reinstatement, and Peter's not forgotten that. And as Peter closes out this first letter of, of 1 Peter, as he's closing this out, and he's addressing the elders of this scattered church, he wants them to know that they are responsible to feed the sheep, not to lord it over them, not to wear the special name tag, not to have the special parking spot, so to speak, but they are to be Tending the sheep and feeding the sheep. Peter never forgot that. John 10, verses 11 through 12, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he runs, flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. <laughs> Jesus is... Not only the shepherd, he's the, the gate to the sheepfold. When Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way. And he said, I've got your directions right here. Here's a map. No, he said, I am the map. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me exclusively through Jesus. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the one and only. He is the Son of God. He left the perfection of heaven. He came to earth. He died for us. He proved that he is God's Son by conquering death in the grave and giving us the victory. And before he rose into heaven, he prepared these apostles and church leaders and, and, and uh, elders and disciples to start the New Testament church. And you see how much impact it has on Peter. That when, when things get rough, he remembers their servant leader, the chief shepherd, as, as he calls him. When the chief shepherd returns, they're going to receive an imperishable crown. And he finishes things out in verse 5 by saying, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. 
For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. One of the things you can do for your elders in addition to praying for them, and you do it quite well, by the way, it's been said you get more of what you celebrate. And I celebrate the fact that we have such a a congregation that is willing to submit to the the role, the authority of, of their eldership like you do. And you make their, their job a joy. And it says, and be humble to one another. And that's an important thing to remember as well. For there to be unity and peace and harmony in the church, always look around and see all your brothers and sisters in Christ as being ahead of your own needs, your own desires, your own preferences, your own wants. When you think of that mission, when you think of the vision of, of reaching our part of Western Boone County for Christ, and you think about the methodologies that may not match up with your own desires or styles or preferences, but you realize it's a tool that's going to reach people for Christ, you champion that because it's not about you or it's not about me. When I did my internship at Eastside Christian Church in Clarksville, Indiana, um, They had a a great team of elders there that summer. We had just finished a a building project, and we had more than doubled the size of our parking lot. And the church, which at that time was like 25 years old, went through the first church split it had ever had right as the building was finished. And a church that had been averaging like 450 in attendance was now averaging like 220. And that parking lot seemed like a parking lot at the airport. It was huge compared to what was needed. And here I come along, 19, 20 years old, doing an internship, and I remember seeing a car way out in the very back of the parking lot. It was a late model Chrysler, if I remember correctly. It wasn't like, you know, a a Lamborghini that was parked sideways out in the distance to keep it from getting any, you know, door dings. And I thought, why is that car way out there? Well, it belonged to Carl Goldman, one of the elders of the church. I remember seeing Carl making his way to the entrance. It was quite a walk for him. And when he got up there, I asked him, I said, Mr. Goldman, why'd you park all the way out the back of the parking lot? And he looked over his shoulder at all the empty spots. And he looked back at me and he smiled and said, God's going to fill those spots. You know what? The next week there were two cars. (laughs) in the back of the parking lot. Carl Goldman's car and a young preaching student from Cincinnati Bible College who had learned a valuable lesson that, yeah, there are some reserved parking spots and the last shall be first and the first shall be last and you shouldn't seek the, you know. And so I I parked beside Carl Goldman and continued to do that. When I was, when I was uh, at Kingsway Christian Church and we were out of parking space and we got permission to park across the street at an elementary school, Rick, you might remember this, uh, elders and staff were asked to park across the street at Sycamore Elementary School and ministry team leaders too. And so, of course, for the staff, it's probably a wash because our families came along later on with the kids, but, you know, we had to be there so early. But we would park across the street and we would walk. Eventually, when the parking lot was increased, we parked at the very back because the spot we sought was to be at the least, not the most important. I don't ever want there to be a sign that says, pastor's parking, be right up near the front, (laughs) or elder so-and-so, you know, because I want to be like Carl Goldman, because Carl Goldman wanted to be like Jesus, 
who knelt down and washed his disciples' feet and demonstrated servant leadership for us. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I thank you for your great love. I thank you, Lord, for Jesus, your son. Lord, who did not have to come to this earth. You sent him, and he chose to obey you and to go to the cross for for us. And to know that I am loved that much by my God, who could lord it over me easily, and rightfully so, instead chooses to serve me and to lay down his life for me. Father, I pray for all of our elders here at the church, God, that you would continue to bless us with unity, that, God, you would continue to give us not our own skillful plans, but, God, your godly wisdom, that, Father, as we seek your word, your Holy Spirit would would enable us to know your, your will and your desire for your church. It's not our church. It's your church your bride of your son, God. And we want to be able to serve in such a way that we look like Jesus looked when he knelt down and he served others. Show us how, God, we submit to you in that way. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we sing, as we continue to worship, I'll be down front. If you have a decision, if you want to be a part of a church like Dover Christian Church, we invite you to come. If life's most important decision is one that you've been putting off, For years, decades, make today the day. Make today the day of salvation. Come, give your life to Jesus as we stand and as we sing.